there are more leaders who've been really formed earlier than we give credit for. And those very leaders are not going to feel comfortable in a congregation that doesn't see them in that way. And even if they're not asked to lead, they want to at least be acknowledged that they have that within them. Welcome to the Center for Congregations podcast. This is a conversation for anyone invested in sustaining and strengthening their faith communities. The Center for Congregations is an Indiana nonprofit that exists because we believe that the work of your congregation is essential. Our mission is to strengthen your congregation, helping you find the right information or expertise for your congregation's needs. We're able to do this work because of the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Welcome back to the Center for Congregations podcast. I am Abby Miller and my co-host is... Matt Burke. Hey, Matt. Hey, are you sure you're Abby? That was like Abby Miller? Miller? Questioning everything today. (laughs) Is that my name? (laughs) Who am I? No, I know that for sure. That's one thing I know for sure. My name is Abby Miller. My maiden name follows me. I've been married for three and a half years and I still find my maiden name everywhere. So no small amount is due to the fact that it took me at least a year and a half to actually change my name. But I've arrived. I am now a Miller. The audience didn't need to know that. (laughs) But if they wanted some backstory on me and the things I struggle with... (laughs) Well, hey, it kind of dovetails today with today's topic, which is about young adults. And that is definitely something that young adults have to deal with. So the changing of names upon marriage and the decision whether to change names, the decision to hyphenate names, et cetera, et cetera. So definitely a decision that has to be made. Big decisions. Way to bring that together, Matt. Hey, thank you. I am the Segway Master. (laughs) You are. So today we have, as a special guest, Reverend Dr. Gabby Cujo-Wilkes. She is the pastor of the Double Love Experience in Brooklyn, New York, and an all-around amazing person. We have talked to her several times in different contexts here at the center. She's presented for us, and it was fun to have a conversation with her. Yeah, and before we get to that interview, Abby, how does the conversation around young adult engagement in congregations show up in your work? A lot of the engagement is where are the young adults, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) And that is where it starts. And then, you know, we have to kind of unravel. Where are the young adults? What are we offering that brings them in? What are we offering that engages them once they're here? And so that's kind of what we jumped into with Gabby today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's funny that you say the question is, where are all the young adults? Because literally season one, episode one of the Center for Congregations podcast was titled, where have all the young people gone? <laughs> that was an interview <laughs> with Mike McCarg around young adults. And that's been about, oh my goodness, three or four years ago at this point. Interestingly enough, it's probably the most listened to episode on our podcast, which mm-hmm. shows the definite relevance and interest in this topic. And so, yeah, I hear you that it's, you know, where are they? How do we draw them? And just a general sense that young adults in this day and age, there's a different level of engagement and a different kind of engagement with congregational life, which everyone is wrestling with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Times they are a change in, as Bob Dylan once said. 
And I think that shows up in how, especially the young adults are showing up at church. It's not the same as it once was. And I don't think that that means they're less interested in the topics of faith, but I do think it just, it looks different. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of the research that's out there indicates that while young adults may not be as engaged with congregational life, there has not really been a lessening of spiritual interest. So there's this Mm -hmm. sense that the interest in spirituality has not changed, but just the nature of how that shows up in engagement with society and engagement with congregations. Just a heads up that in this interview, this was kind of an impromptu interview. And so Abby's mic is not quite as quality as it would normally be. And you'll also get to hear the debut of Hazel Grace Miller on this Mm -hmm. podcast as she is, how old now, Abby? She is 13 months. So as of the recording of this podcast, she's 13 months old. And you'll hear a little bit of chatter from her in just a couple of instances. But I don't think that detracts from the conversation and our interview with Reverend Dr. Gabby Kucho-Wilkes. All right, everyone, welcome back. We are here with Dr. Gabby Kujo-Wilkes, who is the Director of Technology, Innovation, and Digital Engagement Lab Leadership Fellows at Union Theological Seminary, and also one of the co-founders and pastors of Double Love Experience in New York. So Dr. Gabby Kujo-Wilkes, we are so thankful to have you back yet again. So welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you all. And we also have my co-host, Abby Miller, with her baby on her lap. So if you hear some noise in the background, that would be Hazel Grace Miller. So... Welcome, Hazel Grace Miller and Abby. (laughs) So, Gabby, we're here tonight to talk about tonight, as if listeners know what time of day it is. (laughs) For listeners, it might be 5 a.m. with coffee. Who knows? So, this morning, time in podcasting is so weird. (laughs) But we want to talk about young adult engagement in congregations. And I know that it's such a relevant topic to so many congregations. We have so many conversations with congregations where the general lament is, we either don't have that age group represented or that age group is not engaged with us. Right. And first of all, I think it's important that when people talk about young adults, literally some people are thinking teens. Yes. Oh my <laughs> and God. Some people say, depending on the age of their congregation, that they consider young adults anybody 55 or younger. Oh so, my gosh. So what are we talking about here? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So this is so funny. Abby and I had this conversation like when we first met months ago that I always require people to tell me what age they're talking about when they say young adults because of that very slippage like I just I no longer try to guess what they mean I'm like so what age do you mean and nine times out of ten they mean youth yeah it's wild Mm -hmm. it's really wild yeah so you're like when you define it you define it as ages 21 to 35 right yeah I define young adults as like literal adults, like you're 21 years old and up, you're of age. I cut off at 35. There are some that just do 20s and 30s. So they'll cut off just basically before you hit 40. But that's what I mean when I refer to young adults, because youth to me are basically younger folks who are coming to church either with their family Or they're younger and they've stumbled across this congregation, but they're still in school, et cetera, et cetera. 
Now, there is some conversation around what do you do with this kind of 18 to 21 year old demographic? Some congregations will differentiate that as college ministry. But what do you do if folks don't go to college? Right. If They're like in this age demographic. We're like they've come of age at 18 and they're squarely in the workforce and have started their families and xyz there's a little slippage there but for the most part when i talk young adult i'm talking 21 to 35 roughly yeah thanks for that specificity i think it's important too to think about how a lot of this categorization comes about from you know sociology where we divided people up into boomers and xers and millennials and gen x and gen y as you think about what's important for congregations to know about engaging young adults, how important is it to really nail down a specific age category? Is it helpful or is it maybe a kind of a guide? I I think it's critical. I would not recommend anyone doing work with this demographic without being clear about the age you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that's largely because think about the difference in formation of a 21 to 22 year old to even a 34 or 35 year old. Right. I mean, that's there's a huge gap in just life experience between those demographics. You know, I went to an HBCU and I go back for homecoming as much as I can. And the way these like recent college graduates think I am ancient (laughs) because I'm in my (laughs) late 30s. Like, it's crazy. Like, you were born in the 1900s. Like, it's really wild, you know. So and it's true. I mean, you know, according to them, you know, I am formatively, I'm in such a different place in my life than Hmm. they are at age 22. So I think it's important to be clear about the age because if we're not clear, then people don't know how to self-identify into certain groups. And that's another part of how I think congregations are missing this demographic because they're not being clear about who they're talking about when they say, they are making the space welcoming or engaging for that particular demographic. Yeah, and to your point, <laughs> a congregation calls it a young adult group and somebody who's brand new shows up and the church meant 18 to 25 and this person yeah. is like 37. <laughs> it's going to be a bit awkward. Exactly. Sure. And those two age groups are dealing with very different things. Yeah. So it's hard to cover it all in the breadth of you know your 18-year-old and your 37-year-old. Yeah, I tend to find that the sweet spot when you have a 21 to 35 demographic is usually like 27 to 32, somewhere in there. Like they're starting to hit that shift where, you know, if all things align, they're falling into their first like really like job where they're making real money and maybe looking at, if not home ownership, at least moving into a home that they really feel proud of start their own traditions, et cetera, et cetera. And they're looking for like kindred spirits to be on that journey with them. Because the one thing that I do think is really powerful about young adult ministry when you do it well, is that that's the age range where people no longer have these built in like social groups and social rhythms where you're going to see each other regularly apart from your job. It just doesn't exist by the time you get to this age range and you're used to it from the time you were in elementary school. So it's been my experience that young adult ministries that thrive the most are the ones that basically present themselves as this kind of like, as Bonhoeffer would say, doing life together kind of space for folks who now are like waking up, going to work, going home, don't live at home anymore and are trying to figure out where their community is at this age range. Hmm. So this is a loaded question. You probably are going to have 
10 points to hit. But there are a number of congregations that we come across on a day-to-day basis that they're like, you know, we don't have any young adults. What do we do? And their congregation is aging and they're genuine about the fact that they want to not just attract young adults to say they have young adults, but build a community for young adults. What are some easy things for them to do to begin that journey? Uh, Community service. I'd say that's number one. Yeah, you'd be really surprised. This demographic is very big on giving back, very big on service, and a lot of times doesn't know where to start. And so especially around the holidays, if you're doing a Thanksgiving give back, if you're doing any of these kind of like health awareness, like you know, breast cancer awareness, heart awareness, what have you, anything that you can organize and you're reputable around it, young adults will show up for a time-bound service project and go back home. But if you have enough of those, they may then begin to get curious about some of the other work that you're up to. I would absolutely say start there. Yeah, and I'll go ahead and tease where this conversation came out of that we shot about a 25-minute video where you share about young adult engagement and the age range that you spoke about in the ideas of identity, belonging, and inclusion. So those three key categories. And the video breaks that down really well. So we'll have that in the show notes. For anybody who listens, you can check that out. So I see the opportunity there that a congregation who's older, maybe doesn't have many young adults, so gets involved in service projects, which may bring them into proximity with young adults. What are the keys to trying to begin to build relationship and not with strings attached so that they're going to sit in your pew, but just genuinely to be in relationship and to learn really how to be of service and potentially how to even mentor and share your wisdom with young adults? What are kind of the keys to developing relationship? Yeah, I'm in a sorority and it's the kind of organization where the connection doesn't stop at college. It actually grows deeper. And one of the things that I have noticed the most in my sorority is that there are women who are in their 60s and 70s who treat me like their best friend because we click, we connect, they get me, I get them, we hang out. And there's not really an air of mentorship. It's just kindred spirits who are connected through an organization that we both love and serve. And we just, you know, we're cool, you know, and they may have kids my age or older than me, but we see each other, you know, in sisterhood because that's how my sorority moves. Likewise, I would say in congregations, that one of the biggest limitations for engagement with young adults is that folks in congregations feel like if a young adult is present, I have to be the one pouring into them. I have to be the one giving them some advice. You know, I'm tasked with that. And I would suggest that that is more so the standpoint of how you should engage youth age 12 to 18. But I think it's important to free our minds and free the burden from ourselves of having to be mentors to young adults and just look at them as adults who perhaps are younger than us, but may not need our mentorship, may just benefit from our friendship, from our shared love of 
our congregation or our shared love of service or our shared love of hymns or, you know, a particular kind of music or certain traditions. I would say look for the commonalities and engage someone at that level. The last thing I'll share on this is the first congregation that I served, I served as a young adult pastor at the age of 27. And this congregation was pastor, the senior pastors were in their late 60s at the time. And they were known for hiring members of their staff in their 20s and 30s. And the congregation was of varying ages. This is the second largest church in New York State. And the congregation had been trained to engage whomever was hired with the same level of respect that they would someone who was in their 50s or 60s. It was remarkable. And, you know, I don't know how they did this groundwork to to curate an even playing field like that. But I mean, those of us who were in our late 20s, some of us, it was our first real full time job. But the congregation had been primed to basically respect the fact that if we were hired, that we could do the work. And so we really rose to the occasion I and mean, I'm proud of my entire cohort of clergy that I served with and others that were in leadership on cameras, in the music ministry, et cetera, et cetera, while the senior leadership was, you know, in their 60s and 70s still leading. And so I say all that to say that I think that we have to meet young adults where they are, understand their passions, understand who they are as people, get to know them as people. And then if you slide into some moments where you know some best practices, the same way if you're out with your best friend and they're talking about something and you've got some experience, you might be like, you know what I found? But that's not you feeling like every time you go out with your best friend, you have to give them advice. It's just in this moment, the real relationship you've curated lends yourself to a trustworthy place where you can have a fair exchange of information. And so hopefully on these service projects, those are the kinds of conversations and banter that you have while you're picking up, you know, trash off the side of the highway or whatever your area of community give back may look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting that you described the way that that congregation was trained to treat young leaders. Because as I was listening to the recorded presentation that you made, it struck me the way you were describing creating belonging in young adults was almost a way of truly valuing and respecting them. And it hit me that, you know, a lot of times when we talk about young adults or when older people talk about young adults, there's almost this negativity or skepticism about who they are and what they can bring. But it seems like you're advocating the opposite of that. And the way in which you engage with them is almost investing them with a sense of respect, which hopefully they would grow into. Does that sound right? Yeah, I mean, almost on the head, the only thing I would say to slightly adjust that is not even respect that they would grow into, but just respect that they deserve in that mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. Because there are, I think, a lot of leaders that we forget their age because their impact has been so great. So, you know, one of my core principles that I always speak to when I'm asked to speak about young adult ministry is to really be cognizant of the fact that you could have a 25 year old leader who's been leading for 10 years because they were put on a high level to lead at age 15. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. goes to Morehouse College at age 15 or 16 years old, hmm. right? So I'm not saying give a blanket level of responsibility to just anyone who shows up in this demographic who has an interest. I'm absolutely saying vet them, be clear about their passion, their commitment, their expertise, what they bring to the table. But what I'm also saying is that 
there are more leaders who've been really formed earlier than we give credit for. And those very leaders are not going to feel comfortable in a congregation that doesn't see them in that way. And even if they're not asked to lead, they want to at least be acknowledged that they have that within them. And typically our congregations tend to really be paternalistic towards younger folks, especially those who still kind of have a baby face. And, you know, they might be 27, 28, but, you know, you keep saying they look like they're 12 or 14. You know, it's just that's cool in the beginning. But when that's all they encounter every time they step into your doors, it makes it tough for them to bring their full selves to that congregation. Mm. Yeah, that really makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I think, you know, as someone who could be classified as a young adult, yeah, I think it is my experience that I want to be seen as someone who does have something to offer, even though I don't yet have the experience of someone who's 50, but I have something, even yeah. yet, though it's small. Yeah, yeah, that's so real. And I think that a lot of people feel that way. And congregations are a great place to try something out. And so sometimes yeah. young adults just have the desire to show up and try it. And that should be right. celebrated and cultivated. Mm-hmm. And who knows what mm-hmm. that will grow into. Yeah, yeah. It is a great place to try on leadership skills yeah. and learn and grow and have that be a part of your story if you're given that opportunity. Yep, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, and I wonder too about the value of investing people with real responsibility that it just strikes me that sometimes you might want to, you know, you kind of throw a token area of responsibility to someone, but there's not a whole lot on the line and everybody knows that's maybe not that critical. And I understand that there's caution behind that, that you want to be careful with what you invest people in. How do you calibrate the right level of responsibility for young adults? I mean, I know it's contextual, but I'm curious as to how you as a leader might explore that. Yeah. You know, I think it's important to really get to know the young adult before you give them a high level of leadership, because I think it all comes down to character. If they have the character to hold down a high level of responsibility, then you know that even if they don't hit the mark of the highest possible use of whatever the task is you've given them, if their character is right, they'll communicate with you. They'll let you know if something is kind of floundering. They'll let you know if they need help. You know, they'll be clear about what dollars are needed, et cetera, et cetera. But if they are not quite there in their own character development, then it could be a disaster. So, you know, I think that some of the ways that we know if we can give a young adult a shot, you know, with a particular high level task, I think is to, yeah, start them small. I don't think you should start with the highest thing. I think you should start with something where if they go ghost and you don't hear from them again, you know, it's not the end of the world. And then I think if you give them one or two kind of smaller level tasks, maybe pair them with some folks in the congregation that do that high level task and then kind of just let them try it. I think you learn a lot about their character in those low level tasks. Mm -hmm. And that's when you know if you can take that risk. But I also want to affirm it's a risk. Because you could think you really know the character of this young adult and they may just get overwhelmed and just blow it and not say anything. And if that's the case, I don't think anything is ever so far gone that we can't get it back, right? I mean, I would say probably the one area that I would not 
give to a young adult too early is finances, like access to the money. And that's just because people are people, people are human. And so, you know, that's something if you lose dollars, it might be hard for you to rebuild it. But in almost any other area, I would say take the risk. And if it doesn't work out, I would say to your congregation, like this didn't work out with this person. It doesn't mean it didn't work out with this demographic. I think we have to be careful about making assumptions, right? Because there could be a 60-year-old person who makes the same mistake. And you're not Mm going to say baby boomers are irresponsible. And so why do we put those labels on, you know, younger folks where now nobody gets a shot because this one particular young adult, you know, didn't rise to the occasion. So I think be careful about generalizations. Mm -hmm. Try to get to know young adults as well as you can. And test them out with some smaller things first. And Maya Angelou says, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. You might be rooting for this young adult, but if they are not pulling their weight for the small task, trust me, they are not going to pull their weight for the bigger task. And we like to think that they will because we like them. We want them to succeed. But most people, what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. I like that you note that it is a risk because it is. I can only speak from my experience. And as a young adult who was given leadership at different times, mistakes were made. (laughs) Go back and recount them. Thankfully, I had leaders around me when it was needed, offered grace when it was needed, and they allowed me to go that process with them. But it is a risk, 100%. You've touched on this a little bit, but I would love for you to share more about what it means to be genuine with young adults. And I think trusting them with responsibility is one thing, you know, being a listening ear and not just a mentor type is another thing. But talk more about like what young adults are looking for in that genuine relationship. Yeah, that's a great question. It has been my experience and it surprised me. I do church in New York and I always assume people are really busy and don't want to be bothered. But it has surprised me how much the young adult demographic really values one-on-one touch points and check-ins. It took me a while to realize that because I'm thinking less is more. Let me not burden them with too many commitments. And I started losing young adults like they just wouldn't come back. And it wasn't until I started really like asking questions of the young adults that stayed like, yeah, what happened to so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? And at first they'd be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But then, you know, it started to become clear to me that these young adults wanted more time with me. They wanted more time with my husband who co-leads our church. And it wasn't in like a creepy, like stalker way. It was in like, I feel like I should know my pastor and my Mm -hmm. pastor should know me. And I feel like I should be able to share with them what's going on in my life and they should know. And I think that my initial way that I led in the church that we started was to have a bit of a wall up because I was coming from serving a larger church where we really just could not meet with everybody who wanted to meet with us. But what I failed to realize was in a smaller church, Some people are drawn to smaller churches because they feel like they're going to get that one-on-one support. And so I was treating a smaller church the way I treated a larger church and it wasn't working because people were joining a smaller church because they didn't want 
that larger church kind of, you know, politic where they didn't yeah. know the people that were preaching to them. And, you know, they had to call a church office and leave a voicemail and hope they got a response in whatever amount of weeks. And so I would say that one of the things that I have learned the hard way is that young adults really value conversation. Don't let social media fool you into thinking that they don't want to be engaged. They really curate what they want to be seen on social media, but they have a strong desire for somebody to appeal behind the layers and meet them where they're at. And they're normally not going to tell you that. So mm-hmm. it's on the leader to create spaces of inclusion and belonging and check-ins to see how they are. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting because I've been a part of churches. I've witnessed churches put a lot into their services to make them feel younger. And that may be a part of attracting young adults. But from what you're saying, it's not so much about the big production, but it's about, are you going to check on me? Right. Do you see me in your church? Or am I just another number? Yeah. And so I think that's an interesting thing to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you serve a, a small congregation like I do, I have learned that that's the most important to them. Because if it wasn't, they'd be at some massive congregation with bells and whistles that doesn't know them, which there's no knock to that. Mm -hmm. But just what I am realizing as I'm leading is that if people choose to opt in to my small congregation, then they have Mm -hmm. some kind of small congregation expectations. And most of Mm -hmm. that is drawn to, well, at least if I'm a part of a small church, folks will know me folks will check on me and I'll have more of a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, there is more from Dr. Gabby Kojo Wilkes in the video that will be in the show notes where she talks about young adult engagement without using identity, belonging, and inclusion. But I do want to wrap up by talking about Title, the Technology Innovation and Digital yeah. Engagement Lab. And I am intensely curious because we actually just talked about this in our initial conversation. So I know very little (laughs) and I would love to hear more. And I think our listeners would be interested as well. Absolutely. So I'm so glad that I get a chance to talk about this. This might be my first, I think it is. This is my first interview where I'm talking about titles. So, um, you know, here we go. This is you all are witnessing history in the making, (laughs) but yeah, the technology innovation and digital engagement lab is a lab that was launched in September of 2023, housed at Union Theological Seminary, co-launched by a few other seminaries as well as faith-based organizations. And so in addition to Union, Colgate, Rochester, Crozier School of Divinity is a partner on this. New York Theological Seminary is a partner on this. The Cairo Center for Religion is a partner on this. And the Rise Together Women of Color in Ministry Network is a partner on this. And so it's really kind of a bold fellowship that is looking to take leaders from all across the nation to virtually go through an 18-month fellowship experience. Um, When I say virtually, it is truly mostly online. We will bring the fellows together a couple of times throughout their 18 months, but it's mostly online. We'll start off with teaching them design thinking as a curriculum. That's the first thing they'll do in the first quarter of their time with us. And then they will begin to put to work what we've taught them in real time with organizations that they have identified 
that they want to try out this method of innovation with. And so one thing that's unique about this fellowship is that as folks apply, they have to apply in pairs. We believe that this work is communal. And so folks have to identify their fellowship co-fellow before they apply. And so that has been really interesting. I've had so many conversations around the why with that, which really just exposes how much we're all used to working in silos and how much the work can be deepened and go further if we work together. So yeah, I'm thrilled. I am the director of the fellowship and we hit the ground running first quarter of January 2024. Applications for fellows close the end of October 2023. And we're on a great journey together. And so certainly anybody's interested in finding out more information, um, you can visit our page at unionutsnyc.edu slash title fellowship, T-I-D-E-L fellowship. All right. Sounds like an interesting program. And what are some of the hoped for outcomes? So at the end of 18 months, what do you hope to see that has been learned or implemented or kind of leveraged for the good of these communities? Yeah, certainly the biggest learning objective that we hope comes across is just the capacity to allow faith-based organizations to remember that the work of innovation that's driven by technology is work that's ongoing. It's work that always requires you to kind of keep your ear to the streets, as we would say colloquially. It's not work that you do just a one-time renovation and then you're set. And so if we can teach and really underscore the importance of being willing to continually go back to the drawing board and see if there are better and more efficient ways to get our goals accomplished for faith-based institutions and faith-based nonprofits, then hopefully we would have created a cohort of leaders that can help move organizations forward and let folks know you're not failing if you need to go back and try a different tactic to bring the same mission to life in a very quickly changing system of, of thought that we're all in these days. And we're also building on the fact that a lot of congregations within the pandemic, we've talked about this a lot, Matt, through Center for Congregations, a lot of congregations have pushed themselves to innovate in the past two years, two or three years. And so we don't want that to stop just because we might've hit a status in kind of understanding how to do ministry in this phase of the pandemic. And so we're hopeful that we can help to propel a culture of innovation that's not only launched on the back end of crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, keeping innovation in the forefront. Yeah, I so enjoy our conversations. Gabby, thank you so much for again being a part of the podcast. And again, we will put the video that we just recorded in the show notes regarding young adult engagement. And we'll also put in the show notes the link to the title fellowship. And if folks want to find you, where can they find you on socials? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is GabbyCudgelWilkes.com. And on socials, I am at Dr. Gabby C. Wilkes. G-A-D-R-G-A-B-B-Y-C, Wilkes, W-I-L-K-E-S. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us. And the way this is going, I'm sure we'll talk to you again before long, which I would greatly enjoy. I would love that. It's always a pleasure to talk with you all. You all have a great day. All right. Thanks. You as well. So that was our interview with Reverend Dr. Gabby Cujo-Wilkes. It was a fun one to do. Matt, what was something that you took from it? Probably the biggest single takeaway for me is I think this 
interview, this conversation helped me to stop thinking in sociological categories. Because when she discussed that she categorizes young adults for the purposes of their congregation at 21 to 35, it's like, oh yeah, duh, that's a moving target. So instead of, you know, worrying about millennials, worrying about Gen Z, regardless, you know, it's a moving target. And I think the conversation really focused on life stages, which I think is such a better way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, if everyone would just stop aging, then we could just settle in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) everybody gets a year older and moves on in life. But I think just the sense of, okay, for our congregation, what are we talking about when we say young adult and what are we targeting? Because that's going to be the appropriate way to really think about how you create engagement with people that are maybe missing from your congregation or people that you want to reach. Mm -hmm. Because as she stated in the interview, you know, 18 to 20 can be radically different from, you know, 21 to 25, just based on where people are in terms of their life experience. Yeah, and 21 to 25 and 35. You're dealing with very different life circumstances at those points. Mm -hmm. At least uh, me at 25 was dealing with something very different than me at 33. So yeah, I appreciated the differentiation there. Like you said, I think too often we say young adult and we just throw everyone, you know, the 18 to 35 year olds in one bucket and say, oh, well, how do we reach them all? Well, it's going to look very different depending on what group you're actually talking about. Yeah. And if you're still thinking about millennials, the oldest millennials are now like 42. So so while you may want to reach the millennial generation and, you know, that's valid. So, you know, it may be that your congregation has a gap in 35 to 41. So awesome. But the focus there is very different from what Gabby's talking about between 21 and 35. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also found it interesting that she talked about young adults looking for connection. Mm-hmm. So they can get a message from YouTube. They can hear someone preach on YouTube. So they can participate in another church that way. But what they're looking for when they're in your congregation is they're looking for connection with the people there, specifically those in leadership. They want to feel like their presence is seen and appreciated. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was an incredible note because though we might notice those dynamics going on, Young people all the time access sermons on YouTube, on Instagram, on the various social media platforms. So we don't really think about what they're looking for in the in-person situation is different from what they're getting there on those online platforms. Yeah. And that was another thing that made a big impact on me. Something that you mentioned in there, Abby, is the idea of giving them their due respect. And I think often when I have thought about you know, like the work of the Fuller Youth Institute with the book Growing Young, one of the pieces in that book is about giving them the keys, basically saying, give them real responsibility. And I've always defaulted in that wrongly to thinking about, oh yeah, we're doing them a favor because we're investing them in leadership opportunities. But realizing that like, that's not a, that's not a really cool way to think about it because, mm-hmm. you know, they're adults, like they're people who have real responsibility already. And by giving them leadership responsibilities or providing them with opportunities to serve within the congregation, we're not doing them a favor, really. They're doing us a favor. And so, you know, we're investing the next generation with responsibility in the life of our congregation and making sure that we are showing them the proper respect in doing that. 
and not having this paternal sense that like, well, we're, we're doing you a solid because we're allowing you to help out. Like that's the wrongheaded approach. But sadly, I think that has been my kind of my default. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all just genuinely want to be believed in. We want to believe that we have something to bring to the table. And so approaching young adults in the same way of, of believing, okay, you have something to bring to the table will allow them to feel like they actually have something to bring to the table mm-hmm. and they're actually wanted there. Yeah, and you're reflecting the truth of that. So yeah, not doing so disingenuously, mm-hmm. but like, you know, that's something I'm realizing with my kids. I've got a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old at home and I'm learning from them about their generation because it's so very different than how I grew up. Like the changes in our world since I was their age are just incredible. And if I don't pay attention and learn from younger people, I'm going to be lost and I'm not going to have much relevancy. And I think that the same thing is true for where I'm at in terms of my age, learning from both those younger and those older than me, but just always having that stance of, I need to constantly learn from everybody around me, as opposed to thinking that I've got the answers that I'm going to provide to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. You know, uh, as you all have already realized, I have a one-year-old in and working out some of that of, parenting and you know the context that we're in in 2023 is different than the context my parents parented in in the 90s and working some of that out you know alongside my parents who are an amazing help in that we've had to realize that we're raising kids in a very different context than they raised kids in and therefore we have challenges that they didn't have and they had challenges that we no longer have, thankfully. (laughs) And so, yeah, there's definitely something to learn from one another and be flexible in hearing their perspective and acknowledging it and validating it because it has been their experience while at the same time recognizing we're not at the same place in human history that we once were. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that came up in the conversation with her about it's not just mentoring, but it's about friendship. And as Mm -hmm. she talked about her experience with a sorority and how there are women in the sorority older than her, but they're just genuine friends and rethinking that stance of because I'm older, then that means I need to pour into them. No, I just need to be friends with them because with friendships, number one, there's less pressure on me. And as we've talked about in a lot of episodes in the past and future episodes about how busy we all are, Mm -hmm. thinking about mentorship as another thing that you have to do isn't really helpful. But friendship is something that is mutually beneficial, that you listen to and are listened to. You support and you are supported. And also recognizing that just because I'm the age that I am and someone may be 25 years old doesn't mean that they have an inability to offer me support. They can listen to me Mm -hmm. and be a real support for me in the things that I'm going through as well. Mm -hmm. And so the mutuality of friendship, not just mentorship, I think was a really beautiful picture of how we can reframe relationships with different generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And one other thing I'll throw in too is I loved what she had to say about community service being a great space to begin young adult ministry Mm -hmm. because it's going and finding people where their interests lie. And I've often heard it said from other people who do young adult ministry that you ask somebody to serve on a committee, chances are that's not going to happen. (laughs) They don't have much context for it. They may view it as too corporate or organizational. And so rather than trying to squeeze the younger people that you're trying to get involved in your congregation into the spaces that have typically been where your congregation is, rather opening up and trying to move into spaces 
where they are and developing relationship in those spaces. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. So I really appreciated her starting with that when we talked about how do we develop relationships with young adults. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most important keys in trying to connect with the younger generation is flexibility, agility, because I'm seeing as we're talking that in some ways this makes change a necessity. So mm-hmm. in some ways you will have to change the way you're engaging your congregants if they're young adults. And that takes some flexibility and flexibility and change is just hard Mm -hmm. at times. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we can do that. And some personalities are more given to flexibility and being agile, but I know some aren't. It's just more of a challenge, but I think that is one of the key parts of navigating these waters successfully. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good reminder and just something that the Center for Congregations, we stand for lifelong learning and just a reminder that there are many ways to learn that we often recommend a lot of books and articles and videos and things like that. But there's also just the learning laboratory of human relationships and figuring out how do we learn and grow and change because all organizations have to grow and change as time goes on. Mm -hmm. And so remembering that we need to continue to learn and not assume that we've got all the answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So speaking of lifelong learning and resources, Abby, what do you have to bring to the table in terms of young adult resources today? Yeah. On the CRG.org, that's the CRG.org, there's an article by Tim Shapiro called Young Adults in Your Congregation. I find it very helpful. It is an article specifically talking about engaging the younger generation called the millennials. So it's specifically about the millennials in your congregation. I just found it super helpful and how to welcome young adults, how to engage them. And I think you'll find it helpful as well. Thanks for that, Abby. And for context, Reverend Dr. Tim Shapiro is the president of the Center for Congregations. So I want to make sure we give a shout out to our president and leader. We really appreciate him. And he's also been a co-host on this podcast. So I'm sure you've heard of him before. Absolutely. And if you haven't, go check out those episodes. He is a very wise man. We appreciate him very much. So for me, I have Think Media, T-H-I-N-Q, media.com. This is an organization that used to be known as Q, but then the whole QAnon thing came out and ruined their branding, so they had to change it. Poor Gabe Lyons, who is the founder of it. But they have a website devoted to the intersection of culture and faith. And why I think this is relevant to young adults is they have a next-gen summit. Chances are, By the time you hear this, it will be over for 2023, but I would imagine they'll do it again in 2024. So they're interested in culture and faith, broadly speaking, but they have some specific focus on how Gen Z and millennials can faithfully navigate current culture. And so not only if you are a millennial or Gen Z listener to this podcast, it would be helpful for you just where you're at in life, but also if you're someone who wants to learn more and understand more about young adults, this would be a way to hear from leaders, thought leaders, experts in the field about the kinds of things that Gen Z and millennials wrestle with, which will make you better equipped for a relationship with those folks in your community. Yeah, I looked at that website and it looks like it has a ton of great stuff. So I am looking forward to diving into it more. Yeah, they've been around for a while and I really, really appreciate Gabe Lyons and their ability to handle really difficult topics in a very sensitive way Mm -hmm. and also looking at both sides. So Mm -hmm. big fans of that organization. 
So those resources and others you can find at the CRG.org, T-H-E-C-R-G.org, which stands for Congregational Resource Guide that is powered by the Center for Congregations. And as always, rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. This will help others find our podcast. And make sure to follow us wherever you listen, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartMedia, any of those places. And listen, we want to hear from you. So if you would do us a favor and email us at podcast at centerforcongregations.org, that would be wonderful. What are your thoughts on the podcast? What topics do you want to hear from us on? Yeah, or potentially future guests. We'd love to hear any of that. Yeah. So we want to thank the Lilly Endowment for their generous support of the Center for Congregations. They are what make our work and this podcast possible. And of course, Jaden is the sound engineer behind this podcast, making us sound the best that we can sound. So we're going to do our geographical shout out. We're going to focus on my home state of Ohio. Thank you for the listeners in Millersburg. Shout out to Millersburg, Ohio. We appreciate you being here. A good Midwestern name of a town. Millersburg? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it for this episode of the Center for Congregations podcast. I'm Matt Burke. And I'm Abby Miller. Have a good one.